So Psalm 112, beginning in verse 1, let us hear God's word. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches will be in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Unto the upright there arises light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. A good man deals graciously and lends. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Surely he will never be shaken. The righteous will be in everlasting remembrance. He will not be afraid of evil things. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He will not be afraid until he sees his desire upon his enemies. He is dispersed abroad. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted with honor. The wicked will see it and be grieved. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Now, as we begin here today, part of what we'll see in this section of verses is this theme here. And so let me ask this question. When you receive bad news, how is it that you respond? Maybe it's something that is outside of us, something in our culture or country or whatever. Maybe it's something very personal to us. Maybe you've had a visit from the doctor or heard something about someone we care about or whatever it is. Um, are we stoic in our response? Uh, do we run and hide? Do we become very anxious? So on and so forth. So with this in mind, we come and, and certainly part of what we see in these next verses are going to speak to this issue. Now last time we began our brief look at this psalm and uh, we see initially that there are many similarities to Psalm 111. They both go together. Both of them go through all the letters of the Hebrew alphabet in, in sequence. So each line is the next letter, um, at like A to Z, basically. Um, all of them have the same number of verses, same number of lines, same pattern of three or four words apiece in, the, in each line. Um, there are some similar words, and of course they both begin with hallelujah. So there's a lot of similarities. Um, the only line that doesn't have three or four words in it is the first one of Psalm 112, verse 1. So it stands out. Okay? Blessed is the one who fears the Lord. It stands out for us. Okay? So those who fear the Lord then are going to receive blessings. Blessings from God which make us happy and joyful. But there are also then some differences between these two psalms. In Psalm 111, the focus is on God, his character, his ways. And we des uh, he deserves our praise. Psalm 112 now focuses on the godly, or if we connect with Luke, right, the shrewd man, <laughs> okay, at least in some ways, as the parable is indicated. Uh, the godly, then, are like God, and so therefore they are blessed. And we praise Yahweh for this. Now, <clears throat> uh, we are not talking about work salvation here. It's not that if we are good enough, we are going to receive blessing, but the idea here is those who truly are the people of God are going to be in awe of God, have a reverence for God, and therefore are going to live for him and to follow his commands and delight in them. So this is the main theme in verse 1. And then in verses 2 and 3, we saw some of the blessings that we receive when we do fear the Lord. 
And we saw there especially uh, blessings for the family, wealth and might and riches and so forth in the house. But that verse 4 we saw last time, you might say a dose of reality. Uh, Just because we obey doesn't mean we're always going to have blessings. Sometimes even the obedient face hard things. And so when we're in the darkness, verse 4, the blessing is God sends us a light anyway. And this is a a great hope for us, um, obviously, in the midst of our hardships. Well, we continue now in the psalm with some of the same ideas. There are certain aspects of godliness here, and then there are certain blessings that are given to us. And so uh, we'll continue that theme. Now, if you look on the back of your handout of Psalm 112, let me again just briefly uh, show you some of the broad view here. Uh, In the first outline, we have the theme in verse 1 and the contrast in verse 10. And then everything in between are these examples of blessings and obedience. And then uh, the fourth outline here is very helpful. Um, And again, I encourage you to read through this uh, later. We can only touch on it here today. Um, So um, we come then to verse 5. And so let's uh, read that then. It says, Good is the man who is showing favor and who is lending. He will manage his things with justice. So like we've seen here, two lines, three or four words each, okay, in the Hebrew. So it's continuing that pattern. And so the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet is used here. It's the T sound, the tet. And we translate it as good. Good is the man. Now we often hear in our culture today about somebody who is good. You you hear it especially at funerals and so forth. Well, so-and-so was a good person. And then they list several reasons why. Um, Unfortunately, it's often very sentimental, and they might be good in a general sense, but not good in the way necessarily God is talking about. Now, we can talk about many things about being good, but notice there are three things here in this verse. In that first line, good is the man who shows favor, and then secondly, who is lending. And then in the next line, which is the next Hebrew letter, the Y sound here, he will manage his things with justice. Now, before I develop these three things, let me pause and say this. One of the commentators I was reading especially was emphasizing Proverbs 31. He was wanting to make sure we understand when it says, blessed is the one, the man who fears Yahweh, verse 1. He's like, well, we're not just talking about men. We're including women here too. And so he he has made some helpful connections. So let's turn there just a moment, Proverbs 31. And obviously we have verses 10 to 31 describing this uh, virtuous woman. And note especially verse 20. Verse 20, she extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. Now that's going to fit a bit more with verse 9 in the psalm. But um, his point was, hey, let's... Ladies, don't think you're getting off the hook here. (laughs) Men, don't think it's all on you either, (laughs) right? Obviously, the point here is that all people, men and women, who fear the Lord, who are good, are going to do these three things. Now, obviously, there's more to do, but these are the three things uh, that he mentioned. So let's talk about those briefly. Um, To show favor. This does not mean favoritism. Okay, so uh, we're not talking about Jacob favoring his children, (laughs) Okay, or his, wife, his one wife, you know, that, that, that's not what we're talking about. 
Um, it's the same word, actually, as um, verse 4, gracious. When you ha- use it as a different part of speech, you say show favor instead of gracious. But it's the same word. Okay? So the idea of being gracious to others, this is what a good man or woman does. Someone who is forgiving, someone who is loving, someone who is generous, or even kind and friendly, we could say. Now, as I did briefly last week, let me do it again. If you look at Psalm 111, verse 4 says Yahweh is gracious. He shows favor. And so our point here is the godly man or woman is going to be like God, very simply. We're going to act like him. And that's what is stated here. Now, the next thing is someone who lends. Someone who is lending. Now, Obviously, we can lend lots of things. We can lend money. We can lend our chainsaw. We can lend our lawnmower or a book or clothes or whatever it is, right? We can lend all kinds of things. Um, And so the idea is someone who is generous, someone who is helpful, thoughtful. You could even say hospitable in this this way. Um, But what makes a good person who lends different from a wicked person who lends? Okay. Any one of us could go down to the bank and get a loan. Okay, now they'll check your credit history, all that sort of thing, right? But, but a, a person who is not a believer still can lend. So what makes a godly person who lends different? Well, the text doesn't tell us here, does it? But the assumption is they're going to lend without interest. They're going to be generous. They're not going to be, you know, a Ebenezer Scrooge here or something. They're, they're going to be generous and they're going to do it without spe- expecting things in return. Okay. Now, they're going to expect their lawnmower back, but not anything more than that. And so this is what uh, seems to set it apart here. And so then thirdly, what makes for a godly good person? Well, they manage their things with justice. So certainly we can think of our property, our possessions, our finances, maybe a business, uh, our children. We manage them with justice too. You might say this is the idea of ruling and subduing. We are taking everything captive in this sense to, to serve Christ and to think like him and so forth. So with justice, maybe you could say, Negatively, you're, you're not doing it in a selfish way. You're not doing it in a mean way or a partial way or something. No, you're doing it fairly, equitably, justly. You could even translate it as discretion or prudence. Okay. Once again, if you look at Psalm 11, verse 7, it says the works of his hands are verity and justice. God is just, and we then are to do the same kinds of things. And so a good person in these ways are going to be just in how they manage things. They're going to lend. They're going to um, be gracious. So who do you think of that would fit this description? Maybe it's a friend you know or relative or something like that. This is the godly man or the godly woman. And so... When they act that way, when we act that way, they're going to be blessings. So, verse 6. 
For forever he will not be shaken. For a remembrance forever a righteous man will be. So two more lines here with uh, each subsequent Hebrew letter. The first one is your K sound. So for forever he will not be shaken. You could even say because. Okay, the, the good man does these things. And so the blessing is he will not be shaken. Um, uh, notice we do this because we are acting like God. And that stability is because we are like God in this sense. We are stable, permanent. We are not disturbed. This is someone who stands on the rock and not on the sand, using Jesus' imagery. The stability, of course, ultimately is eternal, um, but there's an application for it here in this life. Now, once again, as I mentioned briefly at the beginning, this is not work salvation. We're not saying if you're a good person, then you're going to be able to be permanent forever. Uh, No, we're talking about regenerate people, those whom God has saved. They are the ones who can strive to be good and therefore will not waver. And so ultimately it goes back to God, but the emphasis here is on how we are behaving. Now in the next line, it also begins with four, but we could even translate that one as uh, in regard to a remembrance. It's a a different word uh, for four here. Um, But notice the righteous man or the righteous woman, is going to be remembered. Okay, Remember in Psalm 111, we had the word remember there. And that one likely refers to the Passover. But this one is referring to the godly person. The godly person will be remembered. All right, now, <clears throat> do you see what's being addressed here in these, these couple verses? Do you see the assumption? The assumption here... <clears throat> beginning in verse 6 and takes us through verse 8, is that there are things that shake us. There are things that make us uneasy. Uh, Fred mentioned a little bit ago about uh, his extended family with COVID. Aileen mentioned a little bit ago about her colleague, Kim, and and those issues and so forth, right? Uh, These things shake us. We have adversity. It still happens even to the godly, even those who are striving to do what is good and right. Okay? But there's a stability about the person nonetheless. And they're going to be remembered. So <clears throat> um, certainly we can say that our family and friends are going to remember us. Okay? And uh, sometimes you'll hear people say uh, that you know so-and-so has passed away. Uh, I think of my mother, for example, and there's certainly many things that we still remember about her. Some of her deeds, some of the things she did are still impacting us. Even Noah, who never met her. There are some of those things that mom did that, that are remembered in this way. Um, certainly we can uh, also think of people who are um, far more known for us. You think of Abraham, of course, in the Bible, or Moses and David and Paul. We think of Jesus, ultimately, of course, so we remember him. But the idea is that we, as God's people, are going to be remembered. In the midst of the shaking in life, we're going to be remembered if we're seeking to live for the Lord. And ultimately, that points then to heaven. We're going to be remembered there. You might say no one is remembered in hell, but the godly are remembered as we are in God's presence. 
Um, so notice this different focus. Psalm 11, we're remembering what God did to save us. But here now, we're going to be remembered for those who are saved and those who live righteously. This is certainly an encouragement in the face of evil things. So verse 7 then says, from evil reports, he will not fear. His heart is being steadfast while trusting in Yahweh. So as we look at the next couple Hebrew letters here, the M and N sounds in, in, uh, in the Hebrew here, um, the first line, simply, the person who fears God will not be afraid when he hears of these evil things. So you see how it continues this idea of not being shaken. Now, it may upset us. It may make us sad. It may make us unsettled. We may have to respond to it with wisdom. Maybe we lock our doors or we prepare for hardships or guard our family in some way. But, but in the end, we're not afraid. The godly person, the one who fears the Lord, because he fears God, is not afraid. Instead, and here's your second line, his heart is steadfast. And it's because he trusts in the Lord. Okay? Remember, the word heart refers to the whole of the inner person. So our mind, our will, our emotion, all of that is steadfast. It is stable. So, as I suggested at the very beginning, how do we respond when evil things happen, when we hear of evil reports and so on? Well, some of us just become very stoic. And uh, we just kind of grin and bear it. Well, that's not what the psalm is saying here. The godly person is not shaken, not in a stoic, you know, just kind of steal yourself kind of way. But no, we're trusting in the Lord in the face of it. That's why we're not afraid. Um, But we're not talking about the macho superhero response either, who walks down the road with all these things blowing up and bullets whizzing by and all that. That's not what we're talking about either. We're talking about the godly have such a confidence, a, a calm, a stability in the midst of all of these things because they're trusting in the Lord. And we trust in the Lord because Psalm 111, he's trustworthy. We can trust him. He's in control of all things, including evil things. So whether it's an unfair election or attacks on the subway in New York City, or a man-altered virus, or volcanoes and earthquakes in Hawaii, or the propaganda of the media, or things that are more personal to you, whatever it is, the godly person rests in God's hand of providence. This is not apathy. This is not indifference. This is trust. We don't go run and hide in a hole. We don't take matters into our own hands. We trust in the Lord and we respond accordingly. And so um, with this in mind, how have you responded to an evil report you have received recently? Have you been stable or has it really unnerved you and shaken you? Well, God's people don't need to be shaken. Because we can trust him. And that certainly is a blessing. So let's then bring in verse 8, which basically says the same thing. While his heart is being unshakable, he will not fear. 
until which he will see against his adversary. So again, now we have two more lines with the Hebrew letters here for each line. And, and, and the first one, his heart is being unshakable. Well, that takes us back to verse 6, right? He will not be shaken. And then he says, he will not fear. Well, that's identical to verse 7, he will not fear. So it's basically saying it again. So there's this stability, there's this lack of fear, okay? We're not afraid because of our trust in the Lord. And that is going to be the case until, the second line, right? Until we see against our adversaries. Now, what does that mean? Well, I I think the implication is that we're going to see their judgment. The New King James says we'll see uh, his desire upon his enemies, um, okay, you see how they're adding words there to help clarify. But basically, um, whenever our enemies rage, whenever these things come against us, we have stability, and we know in the end they're going to face judgment. So when persecution arises, or the wicked are in power, or these beasts in the government and the false church are roaring, it's scary, it's unnerving, but we know that in the end God is going to take care of that. Those who fear the Lord will not let these things overwhelm them, cause them to compromise, because God's going to judge them in the end. Plus, we know that our end is eternal life. Even if we are harmed or even killed, we know our end. So here, here's the you know, abstract concept. Now, now think of just a few examples in the scriptures here. And a few that came to my mind were these. Think, think of Moses when he brought Israel out of Egypt. And they came to the Red Sea. Everybody's excited, right? Hey, they've, they've left Egypt after all these years of slavery. And you know, everything's great. And all of a sudden, they see Pharaoh's army coming. Right? And they can't get out. They're trapped. And the people start panicking. They start shaking with this evil report. But what does Moses do? He stands without fear. He cries out to them, say, trust in the Lord. And, of course, God brings them through the sea on dry land. Think of Isaiah during the days of Hezekiah. Remember the Assyrians came and they surrounded Jerusalem and everybody's shaking, right? The Rob Shakah has all his evil words and so forth. And, and Hezekiah, what do we do? And so on. And Isaiah's like, hey, don't worry about it. We can trust in the Lord. Don't be shaken by this. And of course, the next morning, 185,000 Assyrians were, were gone. They're dead. We've been studying 1 Samuel in the evening recently. Think of David with Saul. Hey, you know, David was not perfect. We saw that. But David did go right into the heart of the camp and take Saul's spear and, and water pot. He trusted in the Lord. I'm sure you can think of other examples, and even in your own life, people you know or yourself. And so there is a stability because of who God is, Psalm 111. There's a stability because of how he's redeemed us, Psalm 111. There's a stability here because eternal life is secure And these temporal harms are just that, temporal. And we know the wicked, God will judge. This is a blessing to have this knowledge, to have this experiential knowledge, you might say, in the midst of our hardships. This brings joy and happiness even when we are being shaken. 
And so God is worthy of our praise. All right, well, let's look then at the last two verses here. And notice we've switched now from two lines per verse now to three lines per verse. And so we, uh, in verse 9, it says, He has dispersed, he has given to the poor, his righteousness is standing forever, his horn will be exalted in honor. So notice we have the next three Hebrew letters. Again, I've made them bigger for you there on the handout so you can see what they are. The first one is your P sound. So he has dispersed, he has given to the poor. All right. Now, do you see the, uh, the connection with verse 5? Verse 5 was about lending. This one is about giving. Do you see, do you see the connection, but do you see the difference? Okay. In, in verse 5, you lend, but you expect to get it back. In verse 9, you're giving, and you're not expecting it to be returned. Okay? And so you're giving to the poor. You're dispersing your things. You're giving alms, as we might say. You remember in verse 3 from last week, wealth and riches are in the house of the godly, and so he doesn't hoard them. He doesn't use them to abuse power or others. He's grateful, and so he shows generosity. He shares. He gives to those in need. Back to Psalm 111, verse 5. He has given food to those who fear him. God gives. Not just to those who fear him, but even to those who don't. But God gives. He's generous. And we certainly are poor in comparison to God. So once again, you see the godly are acting like God. Okay. And so... <clears throat> Here's another description. Now, in the next line, his righteousness is standing forever. Now, if you go back to verse 3, it's exactly the same, except verse 3 had and at the beginning of it. But otherwise, it's exactly the same. And in Psalm 111, verse 3, we have the exact same thing. So again, we are acting like God. God fears, keep God's law. Those who fear the Lord, who delight in his commands, keep them. They keep the commands of the covenant, not just occasionally, but regularly. And so God fears will do this. And so their righteousness stands forever. It endures. It's continuous. It's something that we have every day, you might say. That doesn't mean we're perfect by no means, but we are striving to live for the Lord. Then in the last line, you see the blessing. His horn will be exalted in honor. So if we are living for the Lord righteously every day and such, there's going to be exaltation. There's going to be honor. Now, the word for horn has the idea of strength. Okay, so you think of the goat or the bull or something. Right? It's an idea of strength. So, the, so our person, the strength of our person, that you might say the core of our being, is going to be exalted, lifted up, honored, and glorified. So um, think of Abraham. Far from perfect, but he certainly has been exalted. We know him. We know who he is. Think of Moses and David or Peter, James, and John. We're not talking about fame here. We're not talking about popularity. We're talking about God honoring his people, those who love God and trust him and serve him. Now, sometimes that honor happens here on earth. I just mentioned some of those people in the scriptures. But ultimately, this honor is going to happen before the Lord in heaven. 
that is our ultimate blessing, where he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And so this brings joy and happiness now. It brings joy and happiness certainly then. And God, therefore, is worthy of our praise. Which brings us then to verse 10. A wicked man will see and be angry. His teeth he will gnash and he will melt away. The desire of the wicked ones will perish. So we have, again, three lines here, the last three letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And the first line is the R sound here. So note the contrast. And we've been talking about those who fear the Lord from verse 1. We've had all these godly things and all these blessings in verses 1 to 9. And now it just kind of hits you. It's a stark contrast. The wicked man will see and be angry. So let's turn back a moment here to Psalm 1. Um, We looked at Psalm 1 last week and verses 1 to 3, which fit Psalm 112, basically verses 1 to 9. Well, now verse 10 is the second half of Psalm 1. So Psalm 1, verse 4, The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So as Psalm 1, you might say, balances the righteous and the unrighteous in the psalm, uh, here in Psalm 112, it's just the last verse, but it's the same same basic ideas. And so the ungodly, those who do not fear God, those who are not righteous and gracious and compassionate and generous and good, or those who do those things but only to look good, not because they really are acting like God, they're just pretending. Notice the point of this first line. When they see the blessings and the good things about the righteous, it makes them mad. It makes them jealous and hateful and bitter. And this is what we should expect. This is no surprise. We see it from the garden. In Genesis 3.15, God said that the uh, serpent and the woman will be at enmity with each other. They will hate one another to the point of wanting to kill. And so then the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman have this hatred. And certainly, ultimately, we see that with Christ and, you know, the Pilate or whatever, the religious leaders, but, but it also applies to the believer and the unbeliever. There is a hatred there. And in Genesis chapter 4, we see the first example of this worked out, don't we? Here are two brothers who go to church together, and they both bring a tithe, but Cain is ticked off by it, because Cain only brought his leftovers to God, and Abel brought the best. God was pleased with Abel, God blessed Abel, and Cain is mad about it, because his faith was not genuine. Think I mentioned David and Saul. Think of that situation. Here is Saul. and Again, he's the king of Israel. He's a, a, a regular churchgoer, you might say. And yet, when David is uh, blessed for his obedience with Goliath and other, the other things, Saul's jealous. And you've likely experienced this. People are mad because God has blessed you. Isn't that what the whole woke crowd is all about, really? 
Well, the middle line here then says, his teeth he will gnash and he will melt away. So the first part of it basically echoes the first line. He's going to gnash his teeth. He's going to grind his teeth. He is so angry. He's trying to overturn God's blessings to the righteous and so forth. But he's just going to melt away. It's not going to work in the end. He's going to dissolve. It's going to eat him up, you might say. Or as Psalm 1 said, he's like chaff that's just going to blow away. So the wicked may be quite intense and and cause a lot of shaking in our lives, but in the end, they're just going to blow away. They're going to be judged. They're going to be condemned. And so in the last line, then, it says, the desire of the wicked ones will perish. And so here is their end. No matter what the wicked do, in the end, they will not be remembered. They will perish. They will judge, be judged. Now, notice how this also is a blessing to the righteous. And in Revelation chapters 20, 21, and 22, especially, we see this, right? <coughs> Excuse me, God judges the wicked. They, they cannot come into heaven, and that is such a blessing to us. It, it's sad, maybe. We, we wish that weren't the case, and yet God is just to judge them, and that leaves us with blessings, And so Yahweh is worthy of all of our praise, our hallelujahs. So as I bring all this together then, three thoughts briefly. Do you want to be blessed? Well, fear the Lord. Have an awe for God. Revere him. Love his word. Obey it. Delight in him. Act like him. Worship him. And you will receive blessings. Not because we're earning our way to heaven. But nevertheless, we will receive blessings. Now notice also this. You might remember from Psalm 111. The word forever is used five times for God. Now the word forever is used three times here in Psalm 112. Verses 3 and 9. And then in verse 6. There is a forever about God, obviously. His character and ways. There's also a forever about the godly, eternal life for those who are trusting in the Lord. And these are the eternal blessings. And so godliness has practical results and blessings now. But of course, they have practical results forever. So then lastly, let me end with basically what Psalm 1 said. There are two kinds of peoples in this world. And it's not the oppressed and the oppressor or whatever division we might want to say. There are godly and there are ungodly. There are believers and there are unbelievers. There are the righteous and there are wicked. So like I asked you in Psalm 1, so let me ask you here, which one are you? Now we know what the right answer should be. But the question is, which one is it really? How we respond in the midst of hardships is maybe a good indication of which one we are. All right, so briefly here then, Psalm 112, and we'll continue with this theme of worship next time in Psalm 113. Let's pray together. Our Father and God, we thank you again for your word. We thank you again for 
what you have given to us here and these abstract concepts, as well as the, the stories of men and women who do fear you and your word. We thank you uh, for that, and we, we ask then that you would uh, work graciously in us, that you would um, make us more like yourself, that you would give us a desire to, to delight in you, the ability to fear you, and uh, to live like you. Um, we pray, Lord, then, that you would uh, keep your promises and, and bring us blessings to encourage us in this, this process, to enable us to overcome. And, uh, and yet, help us then, Lord, to know that those blessings may, may come and go, may be very um, minimal here in this life. But, Lord, we certainly yearn for that day where we will be with you in glory. And the fullness of the blessings you have promised to your people will be ours. We look forward to that day, Lord, and we, we uh, again ask that you would help us then to persevere to the end, that we would be godly, and that we would uh, honor you in it here in these ways. And so we pray this then in Jesus' name. Amen.